Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast, the podcast dedicated to simplifying the commercial real estate industry for the masses. Each week, we sit down with industry experts to dissect the many facets of commercial real estate and extract valuable lessons you can apply to your business. Whether you're a new or seasoned business owner or investor, the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast will be your go-to resource for all your commercial real estate needs. Now, here are your hosts, Rafael Collazo and Jeff Walston. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast. I'm your host, Rafael Collazo, here with my co-host, Jeff Walston. How's it going, my friend? Oh, wonderful. Uh, you know, I always mention the weather. It's always uh, nice to still have this summer that we're going on. Um, and business and personal is going great. I can't complain. Uh, what about you, Raphael? How's it going over there? Yeah, the same. Uh, I think, you know, we we actually had an opportunity to have a mastermind yesterday. So I felt pretty energized after our conversation, you know, got to meet with several other business owners, including Jeff. And, you know, we just kind of banded together and, you know, we're we're looking forward to the to the the future. You know, there is a little bit of uncertainty in the economy right now, but we look at this as an opportunity to really get out there and, you know, capture market share. And so we're really looking forward to the the, the opportunity and the blessings that come along with that. Um, but speaking of just a phenomenal individual, I mean, I, I don't take this lightly. Bronwyn Scrivens, uh, associate broker at Amadoc uh, Commercial here uh, in, in Edmonton, uh, Canada, uh, just an awesome individual. I actually had seen her on a good friend of ours podcast, uh, Chad Griffiths, and she provided such great insight. I was like, we got to get her on the podcast because I think that she's going to be able to provide a similar amount of uh, value to our audience. And so, you know, as far as the topics we discussed uh, with Bronwyn, I mean, she has a very unique background. She's she's from Canada and eventually made it over to the United States, uh, went to Cornell and studied here, and then ultimately went back to Canada, where she got into the banking industry to start off with on the underwriting side, realized it was just not meshing with her personality. And she decided to jump into the the brokerage space. And she hasn't looked back since. And she's done been wildly successful as far as the brokerage side is concerned on the industrial end. And so as far as our conversation uh, is, was concerned, we kind of talked a little bit about her transition from the banking side to the brokerage side, and then some of the early struggles she faced as she was going through the process of you know building up her book of business. Along with that, we talked a lot about the process that she takes as far as working with clients, you know, evaluating their space needs, getting a feel for what their business and how it operates so that she can better serve them on with each transaction. Along with that, we touched on her social media presence and the and the activity that she's had on that front. She started off in the blogging space. So, you know, she started off with a blog and she's been very active on LinkedIn and does a video series sharing insights pertaining to the industrial market in Canada. And it's been a very, very successful endeavor for her. And she's kind of made a name for herself in the space itself through those efforts on her front. And so we, we, ju we just touched on a variety of topics. She shared a lot of you know, uh, helpful books at the end. She is a fiction reader for the most part, but she did share a few uh, nonfiction options that she found very, very helpful. And, you know, these are recommendations that we're going to take. And we're, you know, this is why we work. It's kind of a selfish question at the end where we ask, you know, what, what the most impactful book that they've ever read is because we get to read those books ourselves. And, you know, it's helped us immensely in our, in our personal development. So uh, I, I found the conversation extremely helpful. Jeff, what did you think? Well, it was, uh, I liked all of her knowledge and, and, that she said that she's a like a researcher of uh, the economy and and how it's going and that she actually writes a blog. So I know that she's uh, this episode is going to give you a ton of value. 
Um, and then, yeah, she's just a great person and I look forward to keeping in touch and hopefully you guys uh, will reach out to her and, uh, and, and she can help give more value to to you guys. Cause I, I know that that's what she's about. So, Definitely and I, I also wanted to say that I appreciate everyone that's been recommending the show that it is, this is a free show, but our cost to listen is to recommend one other person that would be gratefully, gratefully beneficial to us. We've seen an, uh, an uptick in downloads and stuff like that. So we appreciate that uh, you give someone uh, a recommendation for us. Uh, so yeah, back to you, Raphael. Definitely. No, I, no, I, I just couldn't agree more. I mean, it's been, as we always say, we, we are humbled by the support you guys have shown us. And, you know, by sharing the podcast episode with someone, it just ensures that we can reach the broadest audience possible and that people can gain value from, from what we're trying to do, which is all we're trying to do for the industry is try to provide as much value as possible. Along with that, you know, we have seen a, a good uptick in our downloads as a result of you guys leaving five-star reviews. I think last time we checked, we were over 50, which is always great, great to see. We continue to get more and more and more every, every month. And so if you has, guys haven't already, we'd greatly appreciate that. Obviously, don't do it while you're driving. So if you guys are driving or doing something that requires your attention, please focus on that. But as soon as you have a chance, please stop by Apple Podcasts or Spotify and just leave us a five-star review. It really does mean the world to us, and we would greatly appreciate it. So again, thank you all so much for your support. And I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say about this episode. It really was truly valuable. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive right on this episode. Well, good morning, Bronwyn. Great to see you this uh, fine morning. Yes. Yeah, it's a little rainy here in Edmonton. That's why you got the gray look on me right now. But uh, but yes, happy to be here. Yeah, awesome. thanks for coming on. We appreciate your time. Yeah, doing this, so Definitely. And we were talking offline a little bit about uh, one of our mutual connections, Chad, who's a uh, Great guy. I saw, actually saw you on his podcast um, a while back, and that's kind of what uh, led us to reaching out to you and, and uh, getting to learn more about your story. So we're really excited to interview you today. Yeah, Chad's a pro at, at all of this uh, podcast, video cast. He's, uh, he definitely sets the tone for the rest of us. <laughs> oh, my yeah, gosh. And it, go ahead, Jeff. I was just saying, like, just when we first met him, uh, I think he was the first one that we got on our podcast. But from the substantial growth that he had in social media, it's like the videos yeah. that he puts out are like, it seems like he's got a studio and like people <laughs> working for him behind yeah. the scenes. It's crazy. I think he, he might. Just, he, <laughs> no, he, lo he loves that stuff. Like he, I was yeah. talking to him yeah. the other day and he's like, yeah, like when he first started, he would edit for hours and he'd make like these really intricate videos. And if you guys haven't had a chance to view it, I would highly encourage you guys to check out his stuff. Cause it's really impressive. Like yeah. it's very Chad high Griffiths. quality. <laughs> Definitely. Griffiths, well, yeah. well, you know, today we wanted to, you know, interview you. Uh, you. Like I said, we 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 had the opportunity to watch your interview on on Chad's podcast, and you really do have a unique backstory and 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 provided a ton of insights. And I, I'm really excited to kind of learn a little bit more about you and your backstory. So if you guys, if you don't mind, kind of sharing a little bit about your yourself, I think that'd be great. Yeah, no, of course. So I, uh, I'm i in the same market as Chad. I'm in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, do work across the province of Alberta, which is one of the provinces of Canada, for those that are not here. Um, we are a very energy focused province. So kind of similar to maybe like a Texas or something like that, where we really have the oil and gas center. Um, and all that comes with that right now with the current political climate. Um, but I started in the industry. So I work as an industrial real estate broker here. 
I, uh, I started in the industry about eight years ago uh, with a national firm at that point. I now work with a more local firm based out of, of my city of Edmonton called Amata Commercial. And uh, prior to that, I went to university of, I went to Cornell University in upstate New York. So kind of in your guys' neck of the woods, I know it's not that close, but closer than where I am. <laughs> and um I was really fortunate because they had a commercial real estate minor in my school. So I was able to take all my elective courses in, you know, commercial real estate deal structuring, real estate financing, law, like all that kind of rudimentary stuff that you want to learn in the commercial real estate sphere. And which I think really, I mean, in Canada, it there wasn't a lot of real estate programs available for the commercial side. I for sure on the resident residential side either. I don't think there's much education period. <laughs> it's just kind of come and join. <laughs> but uh, commercial is like such a, a, a steep learning curve that to have a little bit of a basis before I actually entered the industry uh, was certainly helpful. And uh, I didn't get started right in brokerage. I actually worked for a year and a half as a, at a commercial real estate financing firm doing lending for, for commercial real estate loans, but it was just a little dry for me. So I transitioned over into, uh, into brokerage. So that's where I am now and specifically working in the industrial side. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. I'm sure the the lending background probably helped you though, uh, from from, the, yeah. from the, being able to you know advise clients on you know at least having understanding of the background of how things work on uh, from a financing perspective. I'm sure that helps a ton. For and, sure, like even just the basic you know equations or or metrics that they have to meet to like to get financing, right? And and knowing um, you know what goes into you know, providing a loan for approval with you know credit risk and all that stuff, right? It's it's just a little bit more insight. And so, yeah, it absolutely was a good, you know, resume check mark just to have, a, at least it was within the field that I wanted to work with, which is kind of my thinking. I, I think I knew I wasn't going to stay in banking, but uh, at least it was something that was kind of getting me towards where I would maybe want to go. And I actually thought probably like everybody that comes into commercial real estate that I was going to be a developer, like I'm going to go into development and build buildings and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I, ended up in brokerage, which I actually love. And it's kind of sweet because we get to kind of immerse ourselves in that, but not actually have to take the financial <laughs> risks yeah. or whatever, or start so much at the bottom if you're at a really big company that you're like just one of thousands of people, right? So yeah, brokerage has been a really good, um, that's what I think the best thing about brokerage is you kind of learn a little bit about absolutely everything and you're kind of your own and uh, the master of your own uh, success or demise in a way, right? Like I can learn every single day something new or I can choose not to. And that just depends, you know, how, how strong or weak I am going to be for my clients. Absolutely. And and you you mentioned that the touch points of a broker. I mean, we touch all facets of the transaction. So, you know, that, that in and of itself gives you also an understanding of, you know, if you do want to decide, let's say down the road to, to take on a development project, you'll at least have all the connections you need You'll have all the, the the reference points from banking and everything else, and then you know you'll know how to navigate the transaction from start to finish. Obviously, the back end side where you develop the property is something you'd you'd have to learn as well. But you probably already dealt with developers in the past, so you've already built some relationships with those individuals. So, I mean, I can't I can't speak highly enough about the brokerage side of things, regardless of whether or not that's ultimately where you want to be long term. I think it's a very unique opportunity for people if they're willing to put in the work, and because it's not yeah. easy. And we'll kind of touch on some of that early on. It's definitely like your own form of university for commercial real estate in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. Because you are, you are absolutely a consultant and your clients are like, who do I talk to for this? And you're like, uh, I got to find this out. Like I need to go figure out who they talk to or how they, how a build a suit works. Like what is the process? Who gets involved? How do the contractors 
price out deals, like all these little things that someone will inevitably ask you. And so it's really, yeah, it's like this kind of university course that um, if you want to eventually get into development, it's actually great because you're right, you do learn all of the different metrics that kind of go into that. And also more than more importantly, is you understand what kind of projects will actually lease up or sell and which won't, right? Like you have that market knowledge, which a lot of developers are constantly asking us for, like, what's going on? Like, what's leasing? What's selling? Where should we build? Like, would this work in this area? Like you have that knowledge that uh, would make you, I, I think, probably a very strong developer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I love that you uh, kind of came from the banking background and kind of led you to your path of how you went down. But ultimately, my question is, is why like the industrial side, why not retail office, any other sector of commercial real estate? Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of sounds like a silly answer. I fell into it in a sense where it just happened to be the spot that was available when I got an opportunity to work at Cushman. Yeah. One guy was like, I need help. I need someone to come help me put surveys together. <laughs> you know, as it is when you start out, you're just literally doing grunt work. Yeah. And so it was an industrial broker that needed help. But also I remember talking to uh, individuals that were kind of second um, secondary to the industry or to the brokerage industry and being like, is industrial good? Like, should I go into this or should I try and do whatever a different type? And they're like, industrial brokers make the most money. <laughs> and I mean, I don't know if that's true or not. I think that's probably a very bad response but I remember being like okay well I mean it can't be all bad then if if they're doing well in the industry and in hindsight I didn't look into the market I wish I could say that I had foresight as to what was going to happen in the industrial sector of course now um, it's been a great run and I think it will continue to be a great run just with the transitions we're seeing in e-commerce and supply chain and all that kind of fun stuff but uh, yeah it was not wisdom so much as just luck truly okay well yeah I I mean go ahead Jeff no, go ahead, Jeff. Uh, I would just—I mean, I can imagine that the deals on an industrial. Uh, you correct me if I'm wrong here, but they're uh, far and in between. But I feel like they're bigger per deal than you would say a, a small retail that's you know only two thousand square feet and such. So that, that's just yeah. my opinion. I, I don't know. Yeah, and they, like believe me, I work with some really powerhouse retail brokers that are doing you know grocery store or Stores, whatever, yeah. and those are big spaces and they're getting much higher rents and you know the I would say retail tends to do higher quantity of deals that are smaller but again like if an industrial tenant is paying 10 bucks on 30,000 feet and a retailer is paying 30 bucks on you know a thousand I mean I've got my numbers off here a little bit yeah Yeah. but like it works out and uh, and so and the nice thing with retail um, is that they do so many deals. Like if you have a tenant relationship, you can like replicate that deal in every town around your, your state or province, right? Like you're just kind of repeating the deal. Whereas the industrial side, I I think is a, sometimes a bit of the harder path because a lot of what we do is sales and leasing. And on the sales side, like the deal's done and you're like, oh shit, like I got to go find some more business now. Like that's done. I have to push that to the side (laughs) until they grow again, or if they need to expand or whatever. I mean, there's always potential for future business but um it's just a lot more transactional I find so like you're we're I don't see a point in my future where I'm not cold calling (laughs) I wish I could say that like I'll just get called by my tenants or my my whatever and and be able to just manage it but like I think I just will always be cold calling (laughs) 
Yeah, and it's and it's a phenomenal way to generate business in general. So I think it's probably a good approach to take on a on a daily basis to be able to handle that that you know prospecting in particular. And and one of the things that it's kind of interesting to me, and and maybe if you could touch on this a little bit, is is the early days within your brokerage career. Could you kind of touch on maybe some of the challenges you face? Because obviously on the lending side, I don't know you know what role you had as far as the the lending side was concerned. I don't know if you were the underwriting side or were you more on the business developing yeah. and, and banking side. So kind of touch on the sales, you know, I guess experience you generated or garnered your early, uh, you know, your early part of your career and then maybe some of the challenges you faced. Yeah. So I was definitely on the underwriting side with the bank because I was fresh out of university and didn't have much to offer <laughs> besides, you know, just my, my pure energy and, and willingness to work. But um, that's probably why I didn't want to stay in banking either is because it was boring and I just wrote up loans. Um, but I, the few, you know, client basing meetings that I did do, I really enjoyed them. And I think that's what kind of pushed me towards the brokerage side, where it was like, I really like this, the sales side, the working with people. Um, what I didn't like fully realize is that, you know, those were for a book of business that was already established at the bank and I didn't have to actually go and find them and convince them that I was the right person to work with, yeah. which is very hard. That's the hardest part of brokerage, right? Is, is providing um, a service to someone that actually needs it and, and having them call you or, or being the person that can help them through a situation. And, um, and so that certainly was a struggle starting out in brokerage is not having good sales skills, I would say. And I think that's probably most people is it's a real rip off the bandaid moment when you start in brokerage, because you're like, Oh, God, like, I got to learn how to talk to people and not sound like a robot and not sound like I'm reading off a script or, or whatever. And, uh, and part of that, it comes back to, you know, the educational side that we've been talking to, as far as um, making sure that you're knowing your market, making sure that you're knowing, you know, what industrial tenants or retail or whatever type of tenant you're looking for, what they need, like really honing in on your specific user group and finding out everything that you could possibly know about them and what they might need. Uh, because if you don't have anything to offer, you're just really wasting people's time. And I find in industrial, they, they will just tell you that. <laughs> like, don't waste yeah. my effing time. Like, I don't need anything. Stop calling me. <laughs> and so, um, so the challenge of learning like the sales side, I, I think was certainly something that comes probably with most brokers. Um, but you're right. When you persevere through that and you learn how to get your little wins here and there and you learn what works and what doesn't work, I find just having a conversation like this usually goes a lot farther when you're making calls than trying to be like, super scripted or super, um, I don't know, just not inauthentic, if that makes sense. Like yeah. you're just trying to have a conversation and, and get to meet people and have them know that you're not here to like, you know, sell them something. So that was, that was tough. And I think like when I started, I didn't really have a lot of assistance learning how to do that. Like I remember one guy going out to door knock one day and I was like, can I just come with you? Like, I'll just watch, like, I just need to know how to do this. Or um, same thing with cold calling. Another guy was just making calls and I was like, can I just sit in on this room with you so I can hear how you talk to people? Cause I didn't have that training when I started. Um, some brokerages are better at that. Others are not. And I think sometimes it's even down to the, you know, different individuals are, are better at teaching those like basic rudimentary sales skills, whereas others just, they already have so much business coming in, you know, talking to the established brokers we mentioned before, where they just have so much business already, they're not really making a lot of cold calls. So it's hard for them to teach it because they're not doing it themselves. Um, but yeah, so I would say that was challenging, but a lot of it just comes down to 
you know, taking the bull by the horns and saying like, if I want to succeed in this industry, I can't, I can't pout. I can't be jealous. Like jealousy is a real thing you see where, oh, that guy did that deal. And that kid, why didn't they pick me? Well, it's like, well, you didn't do anything to deserve it or you didn't do something enough. Right. So it's being able to look at all these situations and saying, I have to better myself if I want to succeed. And so that's, I think why brokerage is super unique because you have just a bunch of people that are really self-motivated and driven to like be better every single day. Yeah. Sorry. I get off on real tangents. No, no, it's <laughs> great. No. And that's yeah. a phenomenal insight. And it kind of goes yeah. to show the importance of surrounding yourself with those types of individuals. Cause you know, I've definitely seen in my, in my case, I, I come from an engineering background. I was a, a software engineer uh, and then jumped into the commercial brokerage side of things. And, you know, similar to what you said, when I, when I joined initially in my brokerage, I mean, they're great people, high integrity individuals and, yeah. you know, just phenomenally intelligent and they get, they get deals done, but the way that they, their particular, uh, you know, relationships are structured is that they're, they're from the area, they've been here forever, you know, they have yeah. those built-in relationships. So from a business development standpoint, they didn't really offer too much in the way of, insight. So a lot of, yeah. you know, what I had to learn was literally just beat my head against the wall yeah. and like just download an Excel <laughs> sheet, put all these name numbers on it. And, and it was terrible. It was horrible. It was like, you know, I'll call people say, Hey, do you want to sell? And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, I know. I don't know what to, I don't know what to say now. It's like, all right, well, I guess this is awkward, you know, but that's, but that's part of, part of the learning process, you know, and, and, and sometimes it gets disheartening, but you know, that's why you surround yourself with people who are motivated, who, you know, have been through that. They can sit down with you and say, you know what? You may be facing challenges right now, but, you know, things do get better if you continue to be consistent. So, you know, that's, that's why I think it's so great. uh, We're so grateful that you're able to share that insight because you've gone through that in the past and you can share that insight with people who are potentially wanting to get in the business. So, well, and I think most people, I think most, if not all people, I mean, maybe there's a few outliers where, you know, someone comes into the industry and there's a a family or someone that there's already a book of business that they walk into. I would say that's definitely the outlier, not the norm. Most people have to go through that gauntlet in order to get to the other side. And yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly something that, you know, a lot of brokers I think are not great at training because there's always the risk that you train someone and then they just leave and you just wasted all your time and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, there is another side. I mean, what would you guys like, do you guys tell people when they're starting in the industry? Like I always tell people when they go off of like, sometimes brokerages offer a draw or they'll offer like a salary for the first year or something like that to get you so that you're not starving. <laughs> Some don't offer anything. I mean, there's it's very different models, but I always tell people like, when you go straight commission, like, ex- like plan for six months, I would say six months with zero income because you're going to be making calls all through that time, but even the calls that you make at month three, especially in industrial, they just seem to take a long time to get done. Like that's not closing or commencing or whatever for probably another few months. If you can find something within those, that gives you a few months. And if you get something done before then, that's just a bonus. Like, sweet. I got something before six months, but I don't know. Do you guys tell people to like plan for no income? Yeah, no, uh, I mean, I, go ahead, go, go, go ahead, Jeff. Uh, well, in my case, you know, I had a draw similar to what you had mentioned. So that what that means for those of you guys who are listening is that I had a very low base salary and I essentially had to pay back that salary to the brokerage with the commissions that I generated. And then after that point, I could go full commission. Uh, And, you know, my first deal, I think, was a small office lease. And we're a boutique brokerage. You do a little bit of everything. And when I first started out, I did a small office lease. And then I did the next deal I did. But the first deal was like two months in. And then the next deal was like another four months, like within six months, I did a small retail 
uh, shopping center was like 300 grand. So I ended up getting gross commission of like, you know, nine or 10 grand. And then obviously split with the house and stuff like that. And then COVID yeah. hit. And so that kind of, you know, obviously <laughs> oh, <no>. created a <laughs> whole thing, but yeah, it's, it's yeah. a, it's a, it's not easy. And, 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 you know, luckily I had that draw in place, which helped me navigate that. And, and I, I had a little bit of a unique situation too, because I had had the software role for a long time and I was a consultant and I was making a good amount of money and I was able to save up and yeah. did a lot of other things to prepare for that. But you know, I, I, I definitely tell people that, you know, you, and especially those who are transitioning from residential to commercial, because I've had some residential agents that are looking to do that. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's a lot different save up, and start saving. save up, start saving, <laughs> start yeah, saving a good amount. For sure. It's going to, it's going to take a while to get going. So. Yeah. I think for me, uh, I like to tell people that they're going to take, you know, nine to 12 months, uh, yeah. hardly any salary. And then to really make it in the commercial industry, it's you're, you got to hit that three year mark. Yeah. For, I usually for say really five to, years. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, and in, in case of what happened, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's hard uh, to Especially say, during right? COVID right now, it took, you know, it's taking people longer. But I think the third year is like you start getting traction. Yeah. Like you're finally, it's finally coming, you know, all the seeds that you've been planting now, they're starting to grow and they're coming yeah. back around. Uh, yeah. I'm a commercial GC. So my deals might, I might uh, touch base with someone this year and then their project's not going to start until the following summer. So um, I, I'm in the same boat. So it, it's a lot of touches and keeping in bait, touch base and a lot of calls, yeah. a lot of cold calling to see what's That's, what's going on. So and, you're not and, in brokerage. You're on the GC side. Yeah, I'm on the Very GC cool. side. Yeah. So, <laughs> so when I talk this... about when I talk about bidding out tenders, you're like, it's not quite how we say it, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's perfect. Uh, so I know earlier you were talking about like the tenants and uh, you're calling them and you're going through things and trying to find their needs. But yeah. what are some of the like the actual steps that you help your clients actually once you bring them on board uh, to secure a space? Can you kind of walk through just an average deal or something that's? Yeah, like so to help understand what their actual requirements are and and yeah. that type of thing. Yeah, so it's it's true, especially with smaller or newer businesses that sometimes they grossly overestimate or underestimate the space requirements that they're actually going to need. Um, I'm sure on the construction side, as well as on the brokerage side, because I imagine people come on the construction, they're like, I need 20,000 square feet and it's, and I want it for this much money. And you're like, that is not possible. I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> but that's the same thing for brokers. Just like there's people that are like, they have, you know, lofty goals and tiny little budgets and, and they think it's doable. And you're like, you can have a fraction of the space if that's your budget, or if you actually need what you say you're going to need, this is really what it's going to cost. And that's the, I feel like so much of our job is like just educating people and not in like, I'm not trying to screw you over. This is truly just what the market is. Like, this is what lease rates are in, in the area for what you're looking for. This is what the sale prices are. Um, yeah, I know you could have bought buildings 10 years ago for 75 bucks a foot. It's not going to happen now. That's not a thing. You can't build, you can put four walls up for 75 bucks a foot, right? Especially with yeah. the supply chains and everything like that. So yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of like initial meeting. And even when we're making calls, the first phone call is not really ever for anything except for kind of getting the information of your clients. If you can get email, if you can get a bit of an understanding, like for our, our perspective, I would say like, 
if I can find out if they're leasing their building or if they own their building, that's a good check mark that I want to know. If I can find out how much space they're in and if it's a lease, if I can find out when their lease expires, that's obviously a huge check mark. If I can get a contact for who's the owner uh, and like an email or a phone number, those are all things that like, that's really all I'm trying to establish on my first call. It's just kind of a big, a bit of an information suck. And then the next call is calling the right person <laughs> or emailing the right person and then trying to dig it a bit deeper. And usually I think, what do they say? It's like, you don't get any leads or anything kind of coming out of a deal by until like your fifth or sixth or seventh call. Like it takes a lot of touch points before anything really comes out of it. And I think that's another thing that happens with younger brokers is they make that one call. And then myself included, I remember making that one call. They don't want anything. And then you're super disheartened. And for some reason, when you start, you feel like it's a personal like they don't want you <laughs> it has nothing to do with you at all and as soon as you learn that it's really just like no they just don't need what you're asking them <laughs> that's it they're busy they got to get back to work um and you're able to disassociate yourself from the rejections then it becomes a lot easier but um yeah so it's it's trying a bit of trying to find a bit of information and when you do find someone that does have a requirement what we really like to do is actually set up a meeting again because being in front of them as like person to person like even this is better than a phone call because at least I can see your face and you can see my face and I can kind of understand like your cues like if I if you're if you're like shaking your head are you like scowling at me I'm like okay don't they don't want that don't talk about that anymore <laughs> or whatever it may be right um and and then it's understanding like their operation so if they're a distribution company if they're a manufacturing company if they're a trucking company for me it's I'm, I'm using all obviously industrial examples um what type of a flow or operational standpoint do they need like do they need large marshalling courts so that they can bring 53 footers are they bringing super bees are they um needing to manufacture and they need indoor cranes that or outdoor cranes or, or whatever it is and understanding like the real requirements of what they need and that's twofold in the sense that like it helps me present them with options that are actually applicable to them and it also helps them to know that I'm listening to them and that I'm actually trying to understand their business. And it makes you seem smarter to them because you're not just like, oh, here's a 20,000 square foot space that's got dock loading. And they're like, I, I need to pull my hydrovac trucks into the bay. How am I going to, what does this do for me? This is nothing for me. Right. And then you instantly are written off because you're not actually listening. And I think that is like the biggest skill set that brokers need to learn still and probably in any industry and so many people are not good at is actually just literally listening to what people are telling you um and not speaking just to be heard or like to add to sound smart it's like what are they telling you right so that's kind of the process and then once you've kind of narrowed it down obviously touring some options is great because that really does help people to be like oh my god this is twenty thousand feet oh this is way too small like this is not going to work for us like we need an extra 10 or whatever or vice versa it's way too big um people don't understand space sometimes until they actually get into the building and see what it looks like right how they can visualize their operation within it uh and then it's usually a bit more refining <laughs> and then it's going back to tour again so this is why commercial deals take so long because it's just like a really long arduous process but if you're uprooting a business and you're helping them to like grow their business or or find more operational efficiency and so it's not just um you know what color is the paint or what does it does this the right neighborhood it's like there's so many uh financial metrics that have to be hit for this business to move and uproot their operation and uprooting a commercial operation is extremely expensive so that's why it takes so long <laughs> but that's kind of the process i guess um i would say for for a 
typical requirement. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that's, it kind of lends itself to the, the, the credence that that's why you probably should work with someone who's specialized in that. Because for example, all those questions that you had referenced, that's probably common stuff that you run into all the time because you do only that. Ever. Yeah. And so, you know, I've, I've definitely, and I, and our, at our brokerage, we do a little bit of everything, but I've started a niche more into the retail side. So nice. I've, yeah. I've gotten a lot more familiar with all the different nuances of retail so that I know what questions to ask. And, you know, in a situation where we're trying to sell a particular property, I know how to effectively market it to the right type of user because of the experience that I've had on that front. And that's just kind of the, the area that I've naturally gravitated towards, but yeah. that's, that's kind of where, you know, to, to your, to your credit, that, that is why you want to work with someone like that because of the, of their knowledge and, and exactly what, what they know what to ask and they know mm -hmm. how to capture all that information and then present something that can actually provide a solution to someone. So, yeah, no, it's so true. And vice versa. I don't know the right, question. like I, when I first started at my firm, they have a really strong retail team and like, I didn't realize how important demographics were. <laughs> like That's not a thing that I <laughs> ever paid much attention to. Right. But for retail, obviously like that is so important. Like you know, the traffic counts, like the neighborhood, like how many people are here, whatever, the access into the site, like exposure, all this stuff. I was like, okay, <laughs> so you're right. I wouldn't even know the questions to ask. I, again, I, you could figure it out. You can always figure yeah. it out if you do some investigation and educate yourself. But like, for me, I found more success, like just really becoming an expert on one field because there's so much to learn, even within one asset class, let alone, you know, whatever. So, so yeah, I agree with you on that. I think finding an expert in the field is, is probably going to serve you better. Absolutely. No, no, yeah, really. And, 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 and go ahead, Jeff. I'm sorry. I was just saying that even in, in the commercial construction side of things, it's, it's a huge, huge ordeal. Uh, but mine's uh, competing with uh, residential contractors trying to jump into the commercial field. And it's like, it, it would be like a re residential real estate trying to form, you know, a lease deal or, purchase deal on you know an industrial warehouse and it's like you've sold a house or two like what are you doing with this building you have uh, yeah so, it becomes uh, frustrating because yeah. they are not skilled and then the yeah. clients end up calling you and you end up doing three times the work and you're like wait a second like i'm still have to am i supposed to still split this fee like i'm doing it all <laughs> so yeah. i mean but that i mean it is what it is i guess if you can take that relationship and just really strengthen it with the client <laughs> then maybe you have a future business Absolutely. but uh, but you're right it's we see that as well and obviously in the brokerage i can sure ima imagine that on the commercial side as well for construction and i i imagine their bids are probably way off too hey oh yeah it's yeah, it's it's way way off. It's like you're okay. You're you're stepping up here to the the big leagues, you know. And that's kind of what I try to tell the clients. It's like you're they get they almost get sticker shock because a lot of times they do you know the residential contractors they bring them in and then they calculate a deal of all this construction stuff. And I'm like, okay, well I need to look over what they wrote because I'm sure they missed five different line yeah. items that needed to be added yeah. in. And without a doubt, they're already they already have done that. And then like, it's like, okay, they're missing this already on your estimate. So it's going to come back that you're going to be essentially paying more. Yeah. Um, Cause they're going to have yeah. to, you know, go find those subcontractors that they don't typically deal with. 
Yeah. Uh, and then they'll, they'll so. have a bunch of change orders. I mean, that happens yeah. a lot. You know, they, they yeah. get you in with a lower rate and then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I forgot this. So I forgot this. And it creates delays. Yeah. You, do you want it? Like if you, if you don't want it, we won't do it. But like, you know, yeah. if you want it, this is the cost. Yeah. yeah. And it just leaves everyone with a sour taste in general for like the whole industry. That's what bothers me is like now yeah. it paints the commercial construction industry is like, they're not organized. They don't know what they're doing. And it's like, no, it's same thing with us as commercial brokers. The number of pe yeah. people that I've heard be like, Realtors don't know what they're, they don't know how our business runs. They don't listen. They don't understand like what we do. They don't understand the intricacies. And I'm like, who have you spoken with? Has any, like, I appreciate that you may have had a bad experience and blame me. We have all had bad experiences, but like, that's unfair to paint the entire industry, but that happens all the time, right? Where you just get, you're just a salesperson and you just get painted with that. Absolutely. So Definitely. anyway. So yeah, <laughs> we, we, I, I definitely don't disagree with you. I've had Three, situations yeah. like that. Too. Not at all. But, but, you know, that's, that's our job to then come in and say, yeah. look, this is the type of value we can provide to you. And, you know, hopefully they decide to, to move forward. And if not, at least they have a good experience with someone who is actually a, a strong professional in that, in that arena. So For one sure. thing I was curious about was, you know, how is the, econ how is the industrial market in your area, uh, you know, shifted, I guess, through this economic landscape. And again, I understand you're in Canada, not sure if, if the, the same dynamics are at play as they are here in the United States. Obviously, here we we're, we're we're dealing with a little bit of inflation uh, due to the the economic stimulus that we've been having. The Fed uh, just a few days ago actually um, increased their their federal funds target rate uh, by seventy five basis points, and so you know that's gonna you know in response to what we've been facing as far as inflation is concerned, and that's that's kind of let the people on the ground here speculate that there could be something going on as far as economic turmoil. But I don't know if that's kind of what's happening in your end, and maybe if you could touch on a little bit on that, I think it'd be great. Yeah, ironically, I actually just wrote, I write a commercial real estate blog and I just wrote an article on this exact question oh, awesome. and specific yeah. to Alberta though. So I, I, I can speak to this very well, but um, the, the absolutely, I guess to answer your first question is that yes, absolutely Canada is facing all of those exact same things that uh, USA is facing. We're kind of, where you guys is like top hat and anything that you guys experience, we also kind of get the, the repercussions of. Um, for example, like when you guys increase your interest rates, usually Canada, our Bank of Canada follows suit kind of shortly after because otherwise it really messes with our currency. So we, we do kind of follow in line with you guys. And yes, we're experiencing inflation. Absolutely. We're experiencing high energy prices. We're experiencing uh, higher interest rates, which is putting pressure, I think more so on the residential market than on the commercial market. But yes, we're seeing that and more so in the bigger cities. So like for us, it would be Toronto and Vancouver. Those are like the very expensive cities. I'm sure you guys maybe are seeing it in some of your really like expensive cities where those real estate prices that are already up in the, you know, millions are that like people are kind of cratering on that. Whereas um, Alberta is great because we are maybe, I don't know. I'm not sure how Louisville, Louisville. I'm not sure how you guys compare it to the rest of, cause you guys are more like uh, Midwest, like are you Midwest? Right. Okay. Considered so South, considered South, South, but we're, okay. we're in the yeah. middle. Yeah. And so like, what would an average house price be like for a, uh, like what are your guys' kind of average, I don't know, single family home? What do you think, Jeff? Like 250? 250 to oh that's really 300 good. yeah yeah we're, so we're, we're guys, very affordable we're very affordable you're very market. affordable yeah. yeah so alberta is also like that but ours is kind of like 400 to 500 i would say but for us for canada that that's pretty good um what's nice is that we're seeing big inf inflows of people into our province and maybe it's the same where you guys are where people are leaving leaving the bigger more expensive cities and coming mm -hmm. into the less 
or I guess more affordable uh, provinces like Alberta. And what's really great is that, again, as I mentioned before, because we are an energy province, we have a lot of work and the peaks in energy pricing are actually uh, silver lining helping our province's GDP. So it's really elevating our, our market, which then is enticing more people to come to our province. So we have, you know, again, and the, well, the big problem right now is labor. So like labor supply and people not being able to find skilled labor or just labor in general. And again, that comes down to where people live, right? Where people are buying homes and whatnot. So kind of all these factors are compounding where Alberta is actually doing quite well and yes i can i can see how there could be a recession in the coming you know 12 months or whatever that may be and especially as interest rates continue to rise and there's especially as we head into the winter and all these energy shortages are starting to hit everyone and okay. all that type of stuff but um fortunately i think alberta actually is going to weather it pretty well just because again we have jobs we have inbound uh i guess in migration and uh, and then we have, you know, therefore affordable like warehousing, affordable land supply uh, compared to some of those bigger markets. So it's like a double edged sword where, yeah, of course, you're seeing it. And of course, like you're feeling for places that are you know reaping more negatives from it. Uh, but yeah. it's kind of fine for us right now. You're but, somewhat insulated. You're somewhat insulated yeah, based absolutely. on the, yeah. the market dynamics. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So. A little bit yeah. of both. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. And, and again, you're there, you can't insulate through a mass, you know, through, no. through an economic, you know, turmoil. I mean, and and, yeah. and you know, and I wasn't here in Louisville back in 2008, 2009, but from my understanding, Jeff could probably talk to this better, but they weren't yep. hit nearly as hard as, you know, I was in Phoenix in 2000. Right. Yeah. Phoenix would have so been terrible. Like, <laughs> it was like 40 to 50% value yeah. drops. And so yeah. you can imagine how many people were underwater on loans and it was a big crisis in that market. I mean, Arizona, Nevada, and Florida were hit probably the hardest. Yeah. Uh, what is your guys' main industry in Louisville? Like Jeff, is uh, it ag agriculture or? No, we, we have a pretty strong industrial backbone actually. Okay. So okay. Yeah. Our, awesome. we have, we have FedEx as, as a, has a second headquarters here. We have UPS, Yum Brands is, you know, the, the KFCs, yeah. uh, the Taco yeah. Bell, I believe uh, KFC Taco Bell and pizza hut i want to say mm -hmm. they're the main it, ones there yeah because of our the hubs like the fedex is like the second for the east coast and then ups right. is number one uh for the centralized east coast uh of the u.s so a lot of you know manufacturers like that because then you know yeah we're at the main close. hub so we can totally. go in, you know they can go anywhere so that's advertising or, you know for them to come into the economy plus uh labor is uh still less than most of the country uh, there's still some states here that are less than us, but we're we're still at the bottom of wages. Uh, yeah. Okay. Goes so yeah. a lot of industry comes in. So yeah, we have like a, like you said that you know there we also have access to the river. Louisville's on a river, so we have barge transport. We have the airport that 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 has that UPS has their own separate wing of the airport where they can just yeah essentially do what they need to do. Uh, you know, Ford has a big presence here. GE, I know Ford just invested. I think. Four billion or five oh, billion dollars wow. in battery. They're going really hard on battery technology, and they're having their main site in Glendale, which is about twenty or thirty minutes away, well, maybe forty minutes away from Louisville, just south of here. Uh, so yeah, awesome. big big manufacturing uh, yeah. presence, and you know, obviously we have University of Louisville, which is a decent sized university, about twenty thousand people, and you know, we're we're pretty central to the United States in that I think yeah. within a day's drive, you have about fifty eight percent of the U.S. population. So. I oh, think wow. that's kind of our claim to fame is our, our centrality. And then obviously bourbon, 
a big industry here. <laughs> It's, For it's, sure. it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Some of some of the numbers being thrown around. I mean, there's a, I feel like there's new distilleries coming in all the time. A lot of outside oh, wow. money. Japan bought up, I think. I mean, there's Japanese companies that are buying up all yeah, these different types buy, of bourbon. Yeah, they're buying oh, up wow. their larger ones. So that's Japanese owned. Yeah. Well, I do um, love Japanese whiskey. It's pretty good. <laughs> well, well it's Kentucky. The, yeah, yeah, Kentucky bourbons here that they're the Japanese are they they love. So yeah, uh, yeah. All big ship, shipments are going out there. I mean, it's that's cool. Yeah, and the and the agricultural areas is where a lot of these distilleries are. Yeah, and they used to be like uh, the joke was, you know, all you would see is corn or uh, tobacco or something. Yeah, but now it's distillery storage houses. Mm-hmm. Oh, so wow. just Rick popping houses. up everywhere. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, they're popping up, just taking people's fields, and it looks like you know we've been growing distillery, you know, the the storage <laughs> houses here for ten years. But I mean, they're That's going. Funny. It's it's like gangbusters. If you, I, I I'm pretty sure. I mean. I drove out there a month ago and they had like, just say for instance, 10, and then I'll, I'll probably come back out there again and they'll have 15 to 20. Wow. That's crazy. Growing demand for it for sure. And, you know, I I think that's, that's kind of what we've been, you know, pushing hard, especially, you know, to, to outsiders is that that industry is definitely growing pretty rapidly. And then obviously horses in Kentucky in general, like we're very well known for horse country. Yeah. Equestrian. Yeah. yeah, Equestrian. (laughs) Especially Lexington. Love it. if you go to Lexington, you drive down to Lexington, there's like horse farms everywhere. And you, you go to some of these horse farms and it's like, you know, yeah. I mean, Nicer American than Pharaoh. Your <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And like you, you have like historic horses that are there. I think I'm, I saw American Pharaoh, I believe. Um, wow. Yeah. So they're, he's just, they're just roaming around. Yeah, they, just hanging out. Just hanging they, they out. Yeah, no, retirement amazing. homes. Yeah, yeah. Retirement homes for the, the winners. So yeah. they have their luxury. <laughs> they get that. They, they get, get massages the nice place, yeah. and yeah totally yeah yeah they do they they take really good care of those horses. oh believe me i like i was in the equestrian world on the jumping side and those horses have it really well yeah (laughs) Yeah, it's uh yeah it's impressive some of those facilities it's crazy that would be fun though we're kind of we've got lots of horses in alberta as well again i mentioned with the the rodeo and westerns and stampede and whatnot so we've got lots of equestrian spruce meadows that's like a big jumping facility up here but um anyway yeah that's awesome so I, I know one thing we spoke earlier on changing the subject here, we, uh, <laughs> but I, I wanted to jump onto this because I, I know I heard you speak about it earlier and that's social media. Um, mm-hmm. And so how is some of the efforts that you've been doing and what have you been doing to like further your career and kind of get a step ahead of your competition? Yeah. So when I first started, um, I, and I still do it, as I mentioned, I write a commercial real estate blog and that was kind of like the easiest way to put myself out there, uh, without having video wasn't as popular, I guess, uh, nor were podcasts. I mean, unless you were like Joe Rogan or something like that, but they're now obviously becoming way more popular. But uh, at the time for me, it was, uh, writing blogs and writing articles and obviously LinkedIn is, um, a strong connection point for all of us. And a lot of people are posting on there, but I was just finding a lot of the stuff that gets posted on there is just very, um, it's again, going back to forwarding emails. It's, uh, it's, it's not providing a lot of your own insight into these articles or these trends or whatever it might be. And so it was just like repost, repost, repost. And I'm like, okay, I guess if you want to be active, sure. But that's not to me really a way of showing that you are differentiated as like a thought leader in your industry. And so I was like, how can I become a thought leader? And also the benefit of it is that I research. So I write like these kind of like research type papers about commercial real estate topics. Um, It was broad, broader before I'm doing a lot more industrial specific ones now as I kind of refine my, my focus, but 
it's amazing because I spend a lot of time researching these topics, like, you know, when you're at school or whatever, or just research, reading an article, and it makes me really well informed on what's happening, you know, with macro, macroeconomics, microeconomics, what's going on with inflation or interest rates or construction or whatever. And while I'm not an expert, I can kind of put the pieces together with respect to my industry and what I'm seeing from the brokerage side. And so I've been sharing those for the last, I think, four years, and I do about one a month. And those have been really, really positive as far as getting my name out there. And for me, the real important thing was being someone that was um, that it was like an intelligent presentation of what is going on, not just fluff or and again, like our industry, we have so many we have people that are really good at sales or, or people that are more an- analytics like analysts. And I'm like, how can I kind of blend the two where I'm like, I can I'm a salesperson, but I still am smart. So this is what's going on. <laughs> So, and, and so that's what's happened is to kind of help build my thought leadership in the industry um, and also present well when I'm making cold calls because I can actually speak to all this stuff. And then the second thing was to start doing videos. Uh, so do like a, I do like a, every couple of weeks, it's called Warehouse Crush Wednesday. And I just do like a little three minute clip on same thing, things that I'm seeing in the market, but I try to keep them really tight just again, because there's a lot out there now. So just three minutes or two minutes or one minute on whatever loading doors or things I'm seeing coming down the the queue or, you know, new developments that are happening, just little things that if, if you're not in the industry and you're not kind of making calls and out there every single day, you might not know is happening. So again, just, I don't, like I always tell people, I don't, I don't, I love it if you read my blogs and watch and watch the videos, but if you don't, it doesn't, I'm not personally offended. I, uh, I just like that you're seeing my name every week or every other week or every month. And it's something that's actually potentially of use to you and not just a sales pitch or something that I've sold or something that I have for lease. It's like actually to try and provide some content and again, create a, bre- a better understanding of the industry and what's going on. As you guys mentioned earlier, trying to kind of enlighten people because it was such a closed off industry for so long as far as information. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And, and, and the, I love the, the, the uh, perspective that you take when it comes to content creation, because, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who are talk who want to start creating more content and providing value, but in, if they don't see the results right away, a lot of people just kind of fall off completely. Whereas, you know, you have to take somewhat of a long approach when it comes to content mm-hmm. creation. And not only that, but even if no one watches your stuff, the, the process of creating content, especially in a written format or a, or a video format, completely changes you as a person too. You, you, you yeah. become a much more effective communicator, both on camera, off camera, written communicator. And then that in and of itself in our, in our business, I mean, we are, you know, communicators, we're storytellers. We are people yeah. who are trying to convince someone to do, not necessarily convince someone to do something, but, but to influence them into making a decision that's right for them. So I feel like the process of doing that will make you a more effective at your role as well. So, yeah, no, it's, it's so true. It's um, it absolutely prepares you for the, for these types of conversations and the fact that we can just talk, we don't need to be like, okay, what am like, how many uh, panels have you seen? I remember over yeah. when it was the zoom panel thing yeah. back during COVID and you'd see people on panels and you can tell they're just like reading something <laughs> You're like, this is so bad. It's hard to watch because it mm-hmm. just doesn't seem like anything you want to listen to you want to listen to conversations and um and I agree with you like 
being from Alberta, northern Alberta, which is where Edmonton is, is nine hours north, nine hours drive north of the border. And the border would be like Montana. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it gets really cold here in the winter. And so I was doing these videos outside. I do them generally in front of like a warehouse. That's kind of just the shtick. But you learn how to be very efficient and quick and take one take because I my hands were freezing. So I was like, okay, I got to go out. I just got to like talk for three minutes or two minutes, nail it, one shot, done, get out of here, right? So you're right. You do learn to be a very efficient speaker, um, get this, this, this succinct points across that you want to say. And uh, and you're right, when you're making calls or when you're having communication or you people see these videos or these blogs or whatever, and they, they're like, oh, that would be a great person to have a on a panel, which then again elevates you in the industry because they can see that you're comfortable speaking in public, right? And of course, I'm sure you guys probably felt this. I certainly did. Even when I started writing, I felt super insecure about it. I was like, oh God, like I'm putting myself out there and this could be humiliating. Like people might just be like, this is stupid. Why is, why does she think that she needs to put herself out there or whatever? But that's actually not at all the response I've gotten. It's been, wow, that's amazing. I wish I could do that. Or um, I really learned from that, or I love seeing your video. Like it's always positive, and I, I'm sure you guys probably are seeing the same thing with this. Absolutely, yeah, no, no. And haters and, and, gonna hate. <laughs> yeah, and what you yeah. what you what you find out is that you know, and they say this. It's like you know, when you're young, you think everyone's thinking something and then once you get yeah. older you realize no one's even thinking about like you no know, one's even thinking about you at all like at no all one cares they're thinking about themselves so like you could literally, literally. throw it out to the abyss and no one's i mean there will be some people that obviously positivity and there may be some people who are haters and they're gonna hate whatever yeah, but whatever, for the most yeah. part like come on you know yeah. it's, it's, it's an <laughs> totally. exercise for yourself it's not an exercise yes. for the world uh hope you hope it benefits the world and hopefully you you you, you write something that is of interest to you where you can provide yeah. some unique insights yeah. but in reality it doesn't matter. Like most people are, are well, going and about I think their, that their day. Because we're doing it in a con in the contents context of our business and not just for whatever bikini season or whatever it might be. We're trying, like, I am like triple checking, quadruple checking that my spelling is correct, that mm -hmm. I'm not saying something that's like super political that might have people like being on, you know, that like on too edge. controversial or whatever, right? Like you triple check what you're saying. And so what it again makes you a better communicator because when you're speaking with people you're not just like blurbing things out it's like i'm only going to say things that i am comfortable or, I, or that i can i guess receive the response back for it um and so yeah it's it's good at critical thinking like in the moment absolutely couldn't yeah. agree more so one of the things we like to ask our guests uh, near near the end of the podcast is uh, what is the most impactful book you've ever read so we're all voracious readers i i love uh, reading books. I'm a big audible guy. I like to go to the, you know, while I'm washing dishes or whatever, I like to just continue to learn, learn stuff. And Jeff's the same way. And a lot of our listeners are as well. So I was kind of curious if you could share one of the most impactful books. It doesn't have to be related to real estate. It can really just be anything that you think was of value to you. Yeah, no, I also am a huge reader. I, I will say this is my, my, I guess, confession is that a lot of the books I read are non or sorry, are fiction, just because I need to like, not have anything to, I, I don't know, maybe you guys are the same or like, I need something that is going to take my mind off work and off of like self-growth. <laughs> I just need something that's going to put me to bed. And usually like some cheesy, whatever fiction book does the trick. Um, so I love reading, but um, I actually really enjoyed it kind of is topical to what we've been discussing today. Uh, the book called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. And it's completely about this. It's about like, 
controlling the controllables. Like, don't worry about the stuff you can't control, just control the things that you can. And I mean, it's obviously all about stoicism and like being able to perceive things as, you know, not as emotional things, but just as like, this is what it is. How am I going to, how am I going to work through this and get through it and getting through obstacles? And I find for like what we do, that is so topical for every single day, literally every single day you go to work, you're like, okay, this is the obstacle today. Like maybe it's just going to work and making calls. You're like, oh God, I don't want to do it. (laughs) How am I going to get through this? (laughs) How am I going to better myself by making it through this, by making one call? Okay. Now two calls, now three calls or whatever it might be putting together this proposal or uh, putting yourself out there, like making these podcasts, right? Like it's an obstacle. I want to you know, expand my presence in the market. How can I do it? Yeah, this is like uncomfortable at first, but you know, you get through it and you're better for it at the end of it. And so I just really liked the concepts of that book is just how are we perceiving things in front of us? Um, Not comparing yourself to others, uh, controlling what you can, ignoring the stuff that you can't control and just pushing it to the side and just kind of like trying to better yourself every single day. So I think those are really good lessons. Yeah, I'm a big yeah, fan absolutely. of Ryan Holiday. I actually loved his other book, The Ego is the Enemy. It's a phenomenal oh, book yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Great book. Great, great. Yeah, they're really. good. They're really good lessons, yeah. right? And it's cool because it, you know, it pulls in all the, the old Stoics and like the history or different people that they can relate it to. And you're like, oh, that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? How they get through those situations. Yeah. Time-tested principles. There's a reason yeah. why they're, you know. <laughs> Thousands they of are. years old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, Rowan, we really, really appreciate you coming on. I, I definitely yeah. enjoyed uh, today's podcast with you and going through your story, your journey, your career. Um, so one of the things that we like to ask our uh, people that come on and is what are you willing to contribute to the CRE treasure chest? It's a repository of things that uh, people have sent in. It could be an ebook. Uh, it's a PDF. Uh, it could be a blog post. Um, <laughs> that you may have written that you would find that uh, would give value to our listeners? Um, yeah, so what I've put together, and I think I have, this one might be within a blog post, but what I put together a couple of years ago is um, a commercial real estate glossary. And it's got like over 50 pages of commercial real estate terms for our industry. And I thought it was just super helpful because again, when you're starting out, you're like, what the heck does that mean? Like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what a, whatever clear height like what is a clear height I don't know what that is I don't know what these different things are right so um it's just a glossary that people can keep on uh, on file and if they have new uh, new associates starting out hand it over to them and just if they have a question they can look it up quickly and at least maybe give some context as to what uh, what it might mean that's awesome. would definitely be yeah beneficial I'm sure I mean I, I need to read it because I'm there's yeah me too I don't, I don't even yeah, know like a too. lot of stuff still yeah, totally. I'm gonna read it yeah, that's awesome. and me as well believe me well, we, we do appreciate you sharing that. I think there's going to be a lot of people out there that are going to gain value from it. So really we do, we do appreciate it. So yeah, of course, uh, if people wanted to learn more about you, maybe get in contact with you, if they're the, in the Alberta area and they're, you know, maybe looking for space or, you know, want to, want to connect, how, what's the best way to do so? Yeah, you can obviously find me on LinkedIn. My name's Bronwyn Scrivens, which we were discussing earlier, which is very, it's, if you spell it once correctly, you'll always remember it, <laughs> but it's a hard name to spell, but I'm sure you guys will have it posted somewhere. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I have an Instagram account, uh, Commercial Connection. That's kind of my website and you can find my website, bronwynscrivens.com. That's where I'll have uh, all my blogs posted. 
uh, my YouTube, I guess, videos. I also have a YouTube channel for my Warehouse Crush Wednesday. And again, if you pretty much Google my name, like you'll find me. I'm, I'm out there. I'm on the interweb <laughs> in many places. So yeah, yeah, absolutely look forward to connecting with anyone if they have any questions on the Alberta market. Absolutely. No, we appreciate well, sharing that. And we'll go ahead and include that in the show notes as well. So if you guys are watching this in a YouTube format, it'll be in the description. And if you guys are listening to this in a podcast format, whether Spotify, Apple podcast, et cetera, it'll be in the description as well. So Bronwyn, thank you so much for stopping by. For those of you guys who are listening to the podcast, we would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It really helps with making sure we reach a broader audience. And feel free to share this episode with whoever you think you'd gain value from it. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, we would also greatly appreciate it if you can like and subscribe to this channel. It really helps with the YouTube algorithm and ensures more and more people can hear this message. So thank you all so much for stopping by and we'll see you all next time. Oh, 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 o